not on what we want, what we need, but just on who he is and all that he's done, all that he is, day by day, how good it is to do that. I want to say welcome again this morning for everyone, whether you're here for the thousandth time, the first time, the tenth time, we just want to say you're welcome here and we, we're so glad to be able to share this time together. This morning what I want to do is I want to share two stories with you. I want to tell you three stories from the Bible and then we're going to pray. That's where we're going, okay? Sounds good? Okay, story number one. <laughs> I remember a time when I was, I was in grade three or possibly grade two. I remember the room I was in. I remember where I, where I was sitting. Um, I was in the same room for two years in a row, so I can't quite remember for sure which year it was. But it was that time of year when it was, it was Chris Kringle giving time at school. And how many people know that when it's Chris Kringle giving time at school, you kind of hope maybe just secretly, there's, there's sometimes a, a subtle hope that maybe a certain person will be buying your present. Is that, well, I'm being honest here. No, that's just me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sometimes I, I've sort of felt like someone just knows the needs, the, the desires of your heart really well. Or maybe there's just one person who's just an amazingly generous giver and you're just like, oh, gee. Uh. No, you, you're all too... too selfless to desire those things. Anyway, I was in grade two or three and I had that desire because there was a certain young lady in that class who there may have been some feelings in my heart for at that time and uh, I kind of just hoped that maybe and it happened. This young girl that I had some feelings for uh, drew my name out of the hat and she was buying for me. I haven't told Rochelle this story. (laughs) And uh, anyway, um, I'm not going to look at her now. Uh, <laughs> I was kind of excited. I'm like, wow. I think maybe, the, maybe this girl has some feelings for me as well. And, and I think she knows me. She understands me. And she's buying for me. And I'm so excited. And the day finally comes where we get to open our presents. And I get my present and I begin to unwrap my present. I'm so excited. I sort of look up and it's just like a little, thank you. And I open my present and I look down at my present. And I just need to explain. This is, this, is, this is in the 90s. Now for anyone who's born after the 90s, we used to have these things called floppy disks. And you're thinking, what on earth is he doing here? Anyway, um, we had these things called floppy disks. They weren't, they weren't discs like CDs. They, were, they, were, they weren't floppy, so I have no idea how they got the name floppy disk. But anyway, uh, they, were, they were these little discs, kind of like CDs, but they were enclosed in a plastic cover because we were really he- careful with our technology back then because those things held 3.16 megabytes, I think that was. Some, something like that. 3.16, it could hold a whole photo. It's like instead of carrying the photo, you could just carry this little floppy disk with a photo on it. Well, the resolution was so bad, you probably hold 10. But, uh, and it was so exciting having these floppy disks, you could carry things to school. And um, I remember when I was in secondary school and having to load my files onto three or four floppy disks because it was too big to fit on one. That was a headache. But we had these floppy disks anyway. So back to, the, back to the present. I looked down at my present and there inside the gift from the one I hope likes me and knows me, I see a box to put your floppy disks in. (laughs) 
and you know what it's like when you open presents? Like, you've got to look excited, and you've got to look thankful, and you're like, hooray! <laughs> Just what I'd always wanted. Box to put my floppy disks in. Thank you. <laughs> I should explain too, it's the 90s. And not everyone had a computer on their phone. People didn't carry phones. And to be honest, not many people had computers. We didn't have a computer. So I'm looking up at this girl who I thought understood me, who knew me, and maybe those feelings were mutual. And I look down at my floppy disk box and I think, you don't know me at all. We don't even have a computer. I don't own a floppy disk. What am I going to use this box for? <laughs> and then after a couple of minutes of feeling really awkward and trying to hold that smile and pretend I was happy, she looks at me with this look that's kind of like, are you that dumb? It's like, have you opened the box? So I'm like, oh yeah, I should check out my floppy disk box, shouldn't I? So I open the box to check out the floppy disk box and I pull it open and they're inside there's lollies. And there is no floppy disk box. It's just the box is used to put the lollies in. And there's cars. And I'm so excited. She does understand me. She does know me. This is amazing. This is wonderful. This is just what I'd wanted. And it was lovely. And it was... Didn't go any further than that. But um, it was a wonderful gift. It looked terrible at first. But it got better. That's story number one. Story number two. This was... After some time, and I'd fallen in love with another particular girl, and we got married. <laughs> it's you. <laughs> and anyway, um, I'm going to try and keep this, this story a little bit more vague because um, it could be embarrassing. Because anyway, I think I've talked to this person about this gift, but um, we got married, and we got this wedding present. And we opened the present and we're like, wow, that is so generous. What an amazing gift this is. This person is, that's, that's just a really extravagant gift to give us for our wedding present. Anyway, time goes by and it's a, it's a gift that needs some setting up, I'll say. Um, it needs some setting up. And before you can actually set up this gift, there's actually some, some work to be done in preparation to set up this gift. So anyway, one day I think, right, I've got a bit of time. I'm going to go out. I'm going to get ready to, to set up this thing, so I'm going to do the preparation work, being very vague, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to avoid saying what it was, <laughs> and um, I go and I, I do the preparation work, it takes a few hours, because it's a little bit challenging, and finally, I think, right, the preparation is done, we can now set up the thing, and I go and I get the box, and I bring it, I shouldn't say what size it was, I was like, I bring the box, and I open the box, and I look down, and I just begin to laugh. <laughs> and I just laugh, and I laugh, and I laugh. And then I begin to think about all the preparation work I've done, and I begin to get frustrated. <laughs> I go, Andrew, you are so dumb. Didn't you learn this in grade two? <laughs> I mean, it's a wonderful gift inside the box, but it's not what was on the box. I've got to say, people, don't use boxes that say there's something else when you give gifts. Or if you do, cross it out. It's embarrassing. 
It was a wonderful gift, but it wasn't what I thought it was. But to be honest, I got so frustrated, and I thought I've done so much preparation for this, I just went and bought the thing anyway. Because <laughs> I had worked hard. I wanted to use that work for something. Anyway, so it was a double gift. It was awesome. I thought it was an amazing gift. It wasn't the amazing gift I thought it was, but it turned out being good anyway, so that was okay. So that was story number two. We get gifts sometimes. I wonder this morning, what are you hoping for? Sometimes we get gifts and we think it is totally useless. We think, what on earth would I want this for? Maybe you're offered something and you're thinking, I don't even want that. And then there's other times we, we are offered things and we think, yeah, that'll be awesome, that'll be wonderful. If I just had a little mini like Andrew's, my life would be, would be complete. If I, if I just had that, that toy, if I just had that thing, if I just had that, that house in the country with a couple of acres, you know, if my house was just that little bit cleaner, if we could get that room sorted out, um, my life would just be so much calmer and peaceful and life would be wonderful. But I wonder how often are the things that we think are awesome not as good as we think, and maybe the thing we think we don't need is actually the answer to what we do need. Story number one from the Bible I want to read this morning from Matthew chapter 13. It says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Now, i just got to explain. He didn't buy the field, so he now has a field. He's not excited about the field. He goes and he sells everything he has, all his possessions. He sells it. He, I was going to say he gives it away. No, he doesn't give it away because he wants the money. He, he sells everything he's got so he can scrape together enough money to go back to buy this field so that the treasure that's buried in the field would belong to him. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. You know, when we find something that's amazing, when we find something truly amazing, something that's so exciting to us, we're willing to give up everything else to gain that thing. You know, I didn't used to like coffee. I didn't drink it. I didn't, wasn't interested until I met a particular young lady named Rochelle. And she drank coffee. And I discovered I could drink coffee with her. So I drank coffee. So I could be with her. And there's this other day, I remember we, as a family, we were going to Ballarat. And I had to go. It was part of the family, what we were doing. But I didn't have to be there all day. And I knew Rochelle was going to be knocking off work and there was a chance we could catch up and have coffee. But I wasn't going to be home. I wasn't going to be around. So I did what any young man who's in love will do. He puts his bike in the car. He drives to Ballarat with his family. And at a certain time he says, right, I'm leaving. He gets on his bike and rides 100 kilometers home. Now I should explain that I did do a lot of bike riding back then. But I remember every pedal stroke thinking, we're going to have coffee. We're going to have coffee. We're going to have coffee. <laughs> Because a man in love will do anything to find that treasure and uh, hopefully maybe gain the love of those he loves. I remember another time when I was in grade six and I had a part-time job that I think I started when I was in grade five. 
I'm not sure if that's legal, but anyway, I was working. Uh, I had a very small hourly rate, and I saved that very small hourly rate for about a, a year and a half, and it slowly built up the amount I had. And then one day, I went out and I bought my brand new electric guitar and amplifier with my own money. I scraped together everything I had. I, I, I got it all together and I bought that thing. And in fact, it's, I've still got it. And I remember in the shop, the guy going, we were looking at the guitars and he's kind of like, well, what is mum and dad thinking about that? I guess they're the one paying. And I'm like, uh-uh, I'm paying. <laughs> oh. But when we want something, when we find a treasure, we are willing to give up other things so that we can gain that treasure. I wonder what it is that you're willing to give up things for in your life right now. What is the treasure that you're pursuing? I want to ask you this morning. Story number two from the Bible. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 says this. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. You read that? You heard that right. John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said to Jesus. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Can you imagine that voice? It's like, what a moment. What a moment. I, I, I just wish it stopped there. Uh, those of you who know what happens next, you probably may be thinking, yeah, I wish it stopped there too, Andrew. Because there's this amazing moment. Jesus obediently follows the, the, the steps that God has for him. He, he goes, he gets baptized, even though John says, no way, Jesus, I'm not baptizing you. He tries to discourage him, and, and, and Jesus says, no, I'm going to get baptized. And he does what God requires. He, he's obedient. And then there's this amazing moment. The heavens open and the, dis, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And, and is, uh, the voice from heaven saying, this is my dearly loved son. I was like, wow, what an amazing moment. You obey God. And there's this amazing blessing. And the end, life is wonderful and amazing from then on. The presence opened. It's amazing. It's wonderful. It's all good. But it continues. It says in verse 1 of chapter 4, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. Thank you, Matthew, for pointing out that if you don't eat for 40 days, you become very hungry. I, I, I really didn't know that. <laughs> Jesus gets very hungry. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It's not Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit and ended up in the wilderness and just as it happened, the devil decided to tempt him while he was there. So the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. And I can assure you, I'm pretty sure that 40 days and 40 nights didn't go very quickly. I reckon that 40 days and 40 nights might have felt pretty long and lonely for Jesus. Every time the, the, the devil tried to tempt him with certain things, he, he, he rebuked him and he, he declared the word of God. 
and he, he declared, it is written, it is written, it is written, and he, and he stood up to those tests and, and never sinned. But I just wonder how often maybe we expect that, you know, God says he wants us to do this. So I'm going to be obedient to this. I'm going to do what he says. Even though others are discouraging me, I'm going to do it. And we do it and we kind of think after we do what God requires, there'll be that amazing moment where the heavens open and a voice from heaven will boom, well done, my good and faithful son, whom I love. And the Holy Spirit will descend on us and it'll be like a magic, magical moment and life will just be wonderful from there on because we've been, obe- been obedient to God. I kind of think that's what we subconsciously think is going to happen sometimes. But Jesus, after the Holy Spirit descends on him, as Marilyn just prayed, which I thought was kind of cool, that the Holy Spirit began to lead him, that he was tempted. He went through this trial in the wilderness. And then after the trial, he continues to go on and he begins his ministry. You know, for us, as we obey God, let's not believe that we're obeying God so that we can have something and escape other things and that life will just always be wonderful. God calls us to obedience and we're called to obey simply because it's the right thing to do. We're called to obey and to trust Him no matter what the circumstances are. I've been spending some time over the last few weeks uh, praying and looking and reading about a new series we're going to begin in a few weeks' time. And just this week I was looking at a, uh, a, a video that we're going to be using for our life groups that maybe some will be using for life groups through that series. And I was listening, at, listening to one of the sessions and it was Andy Stanley talking about prayer. That prayer is not magic. You know, magic, magic, magic tricks. You, you do this, you do that, you do this, and then you pull a rabbit out of the hat. You do this, you do that, and it ends up with this. Prayer is not, say this, do this, say this, and then you'll have this. That is not what prayer is about. God is not someone who who gives us magic prayers to pray so we can have what we want. That is not what prayer is about. Jesus called his disciples to come follow him. Jesus' call for us is to come follow him. Not so that he can do magic tricks for us. Going, God answers prayer. God does do miraculous things. I, I believe it with all my heart. I broke my back. And then overnight, God healed me. God does miracles. He answers prayer. But Jesus calls us to follow him. Not so we can have magical answers to prayer. But so that we can have a relationship with the creator of the universe. The God who loves us. Who cares about us. And who wants us to sustain wants to sustain us through everything we go through. It's about relationship. It's about growing in relationship with Him. It's about understanding who He is and doing life with Him. I heard about a guy who who got saved and he was so excited that he could have a relationship with Jesus. He could talk to God everywhere he went. And then one day he discovered that these, these Christians believe in a place called heaven and a place called hell. He had no idea about the, the, the whole eternal life thing he's kind of like well i thought it was just about believing in jesus died for my sins so i could have a relationship with god while i'm alive it's like heaven was an extra bonus but i think sometimes we look to heaven and we think well we can be saved we can go to heaven and we kind of think well but we just live this life until then 
Jesus wants us to come follow him and have relationship with him. It's not about praying magical prayers. Do this. Obey me. It'll be great. It'll be wonderful. And if you keep obeying me, you'll have this. That's not what it was about. That's not what it is about. Why did Jesus say that he should be baptized? Because if I do this, God's going to do this for me? No. He says to John, this is what should be done. This is what God requires. So I want you to baptize me because it's the right thing. Because it is good. It's, this is what is right. So I'm going to get baptized. And he does. Third story I want to read this morning. John chapter 4 and verse 1. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself actually didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. Uh, just a, a side note, I find that really interesting. Like, Jesus hears these rumors, it's like, oh man, <clears throat> Jesus is baptizing more people than us. He's, like, he's baptizing more people than John. What are we going to do about it? It's like there's, there's these rumors flying around. It's like, oh, did you hear? Jesus is baptizing all these people. And Jesus is kind of like, guys, let's just go. I'll just, I'm over it. Let's go. <laughs> I, I sort of like, here's these rumors, rumors, and he's like, I just don't want to be involved in that. It's not what it's about. It's not about who's baptized the most people. Let's just leave. Let's go. That's how I read it. Verse 4. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village, village named Sik of Sikar near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Joseph, we just did a series all about. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. And in case you're wondering, Jesus knows what it's like to be tired. He understands what it is to be tired. But if you're tired, he says, come to me, and he will give you rest. He will refresh you. Verse 7, he says, Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please, give me a drink, Jesus says to this woman. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jews wouldn't even touch a cup that a Samaritan had held because the, that, that cup, they believed, would become unclean because they'd touched it and they wouldn't touch it because they'd become unclean just because they touched the cup. The woman's like, why are you asking me for a drink? Verse 10, Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir... You don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Now, I've got to say just at that point, um, if you've ever been on a hike or if you've ever been camping and you've had water, but like there's water and there's water, isn't there? I just, I just imagine this well water. Maybe wells, waters can be beautiful. I just think of bore water, and maybe bore water can be beautiful. I remember going on hikes and being camping and ha having water, but it's kind of like the water that tastes so terrible. It's like, I know I need to drink this, so I will. But finally, when you get fresh water, you're just like, oh, 
my thirst can be quenched at last. And you just skull, 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 skull. Do you know that feeling? There's a few of you do. It's, 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 there's, there's water, but then there's water. And, and this woman's been drawing this, well, this, well, this, this water from this well for probably years and years and years. And, and then Jesus talks about this water that bubbles up like a, a bubbling spring. And we'll, let's just read on. Verse 13, Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. She's probably carried water from that well every day of her life for who knows how long. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. I think she's kind of like, right, either you've been talking to someone, or you know a lot about me. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it's the Mount of Gerzim where our ancestors worshipped? I want to just put in bracket there, She's trying to change the topic. <laughs> Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then His disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her, or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well. I think she was a little bit distracted about the water. She didn't really care about the well water anymore. And ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Could he be the one? Is this the one? You've got to come and check it out. I th I think maybe this could be the Messiah. Could this possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Jesus off is offering the woman living water. Jesus offers this woman living water that will quench her thirst and she will never thirst again. And that this water will even give her eternal life. It sounds a little bit like Indiana Jones, doesn't it? It's like they're on the search for the Holy Grail so they can, they can take one sip from that Holy Grail so they can live forever because they've had a sip. But it's not magic. It's, I, I kind of think maybe Indiana Jones writers, maybe you've got a little bit inspired by the living water that Jesus offered, but I think they got a little bit confused because it's not some magical sip of this one water that gives eternal life. But I just wonder if Jesus is offering and, and wanting to do in us and, and say to us and do with us this morning the same thing he wanted to do with that woman 2,000 years ago. 
Jesus wants to get our attention. You know, this woman was coming to the well in the middle of the day, most likely because she knew she was looked down upon. She'd had five husbands already. The, the man she was with now wasn't even her husband. And she, she was kind of hiding away from society because she believed people hated her and that she just wanted to be away from the people. But Jesus speaks to her and it gets her attention. It doesn't matter who we are or what we've done. God wants to get your attention because he loves you. He speaks to her and that gets her attention. Jesus wants to get our attention. Then he wants us to discover who he is. He says to the woman, If you knew who I was, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Jesus wants us to discover who he is, to to discover who Jesus is. And if we know who Jesus is, we will discover all that he has for us. And I want to encourage you today, if you don't know who Jesus is, if you sort of, you've heard stories about Jesus, you're kind of like, yeah, was he a real person? I don't even know. I want to encourage you to investigate who really was Jesus. Maybe you can join us as we do an Alpha course, or I want to encourage you, go and, go and hire the movie The Case for Christ, uh, based on the true story of Lee Strobel, who was an investigative journalist who wanted to disprove the, the theory about Jesus. He wanted to, that was his mission, to disprove who Jesus was. And he goes out and he investigates it with all his scientific and research background, and he comes to the conclusion there is no way I can deny the historical reality that Jesus was a person, he lived, he died, and he rose again. And I want to encourage you, if you, if you aren't sure who Jesus is, he wants you to discover it. He wants you to know who he is. He wants you to know how amazing his love for you is. As Francis shared this morning, His amazing grace that forgives sinners like me and like you. He wants us to discover who He is. And then as we do, that we would come to Him thirsty. That we would see that He is the one that can quench our thirst in life. We might desire all kinds of things. There might be things out there, things we think we need, like those presents. We think, if I just had this, my life would be complete. If I just had that, I would be happy. But Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Jesus wants us to thirst for what he has for us. Last week, we talked about the new wine that Jesus wants to fill us with. That he wants to make us new creations and like a new wine skin that can hold new wine that day by day, God wants to be renewing us. He wants to recreate us every day. He wants to be molding us and shaping us and renewing us for His glory and filling us day by day with His Holy Spirit. A fresh filling every day, filling us with His new wine. But maybe you went away thinking, but, but how does that happen? How, does it, how, does, how do we do that? How do we see that happen? I want to read a couple of verses that we just read. Chapter 4, verse 10, he says, Jesus replied, if you only knew the, the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. He says, if you know who God is, if you understand the gift that is available, you would ask and I would give it to you. God does not offer gifts and then hold them back. God desires to fill us with the Holy Spirit. 
God desires to give us His Holy Spirit and to fill us day by day by day. He sent the Holy Spirit so that we could be led by Him, so that we could be empowered, so that we could be counseled and taught and encouraged day by day by day by day. That's His desire. He wants to do it. But He says, what do we need to do first? We need to ask. I wonder, are we asking for God to fill us? Are we asking for God to fill us? The second thing he says, we've just read, is in verse 13, he says, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. And it doesn't say, those who have just one sip of the water I give will never be thirsty again. It says, those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. And I want to suggest to you this morning that it's not by just one filling of the Holy Spirit, it's not just one encounter with God that you will never thirst again. Because if you have a drink last week, I can assure you in the physical, you will get thirsty again. And the same as if we taste and see that God is good, but we don't go on drinking from Him, finding our strength from Him, we will get thirsty again. But if we continually come back to Jesus, if we continue to draw on His Spirit and ask and drink of His Spirit, to be filled with Him day by day by day, we will have a filling like the world has never known. We will be filled. We will have a, 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 a well within us springing up day by day. That We won't be just trying to scrape up any water here, there and everywhere, but we will live with a fullness of life that God desires for us to have. I just want to read a couple of verses from Ephesians before we come to a close. Ephesians 4, verse 17 and 18 says, With the Lord's authority, let me say, I say this, Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. The Gentiles being those who don't know God. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. Their minds are full of darkness. They've closed their minds, they've hardened their hearts. I just wonder if maybe we live in a world that is offered so many things saying, this will give you life, this will give you life, this will change your life, this will make your life amazing. And we are sold so many things day by day by day by day that our hearts just get full of the disappointment, full of the, 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 the discouragement and the deceptions that the world tells us will give us life. And our hearts get full of darkness. Our hearts get hard. Our minds close off and we think, there's nothing that will satisfy me. Just as Marilyn prayed earlier, that I think sometimes we can think, there, there's nothing in this life for me. It's all just too hard. That we get discouraged. We see the disappointments. We th see the things that are supposed to help us have life and we, we get discouraged and we feel like giving up. Our, our hearts close off. Our, our minds close off. And we are hopelessly confused. But listen to what it says in Ephesians 5, 18. It says, Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs amongst yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. Don't be drunk with wine. Don't just drink wine all day because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled 
Don't drink wine. Drink of the Holy Spirit. Drink of my Spirit, he says, which will fill you, which will, will give you life. Now, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure if you, if you drink wine excessively one day, that you don't stay drunk forever then. But in the same way, if, as we drink of the Holy Spirit, we don't stay filled with Him forever either. The, the, the drinking of wine brings confusion and, and, and destruction in people's lives, but the filling of the Holy Spirit brings clarity. It brings self-control. It brings life as opposed to the drinking of wine. And God wants us to drink of His Holy Spirit day by day by day, to ask Him to fill us day by day by day as we come to Him in prayer. Ephesians six eighteen says, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all the believers everywhere. All times, all believers everywhere, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. That's God's desire for you and for me. Why? Is it pray on all occasions, at all times, and then finally we can have the Spirit of God descend on us like a dove and the heavens will open, it'll be amazing, it'll be fantastic, life will be perfect all the time. No. But if we will come to Him day by day by day and drink of His Spirit, if we will come to Him and recognize our need for Him, acknowledge who He is, He will fill us. And we will have an awareness of Him. We will have His strength. We will have the joy. We'll have the peace that He desires for us to have through everything we go through. And what a privilege, what a blessing that is. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. I just want to read um, a small section out of a book I've been reading this week by Barry Chant called Praying in the Spirit. And he talks about the Lord's Prayer. He talks about uh, what the point of prayer is. And I just want to read to you a section out of it. It says, One danger we face is praying only for a particular purpose. I wonder if that's ever been you. True prayer is a matter of spiritual health, and we need to be healthy to live an effective Christian life. It's like breathing. We don't breathe just so we can walk or talk or play sport or make love or watch a film or read a book. We breathe so we can live. If we live, then we can do those other things. Neither do we pray just so we can preach a sermon or lead a youth group or face a difficult task or be, or be relieved from pain or find a life's partner. We pray so we can live an effective spiritual life. When this is accomplished, the other things all find their place. They become benefits of our prayer, not the reason for it. Prayer needs to be woven into the fabric of our lives so that wherever we are and whatever we are doing, it is a spontaneous and instinctive part of our behavior. Between times, when we are walking down a corridor or standing under the shower or waiting for a traffic light to change or listening to a recorded message on the telephone, our natural inclination should be to pray. Our hearts should spontaneously begin to worship the Lord and our lips to utter His praise. We should not need to make a conscious decision to do it. Prayer should be such a part of us that, like breathing, it should just happen automatically, sustaining us all the time. Now, I don't read that to con condemn or... or, or I, I read that and I'm challenged. 
I read that and I'm stirred. I think what a beautiful picture of intimacy with our creating, loving Saviour God. To be in intimate fellowship with Him day by day, moment by moment, wherever we go. And I think I've had moments where life has been like that, but there's also been moments when I've, prayer has not become that natural thing 24-7. Paul encourages pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. It's because it's the right thing to do and because it's good for us. Not just to pray for things, that we might have things, but that we could be who God created us to be. One last verse in Philippians 4, verse 4, it says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep on putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. God wants to fill your life with everything that is good. The joy of the Lord, the the, the peace of God, He wants to fill your life with those things. But do we see the gift that He's offering us? That we can pray, that we have the privilege, that we can pray and know that He hears us. Do we see the treasure that's buried in the field? Are we willing to give up time in front of the TV? Are we willing to give up time doing other things just to stop and to pray? And when I read the the book and it says we shouldn't have to think about praying, it should just be instinctive, I think we need to train ourselves to get to that point. We need to train ourselves and discipline ourselves and, and help ourselves to learn to do what is right, to teach ourselves to drink. You know, a baby, when it comes along, doesn't always know how to drink straight away. It's got to be taught how to drink. And we need to know how to find this source of life that sustains us. That is our hope. As we drink of His Spirit, it says it gives even eternal life. I'm going to ask the band to come and we're going to finish with a song in a few moments. I think it's interesting in John when, when the woman goes back to the village and tells the people, Come and see this man who, I, who, who, who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Do you know what the people do? They go, oh, good on you. We're a bit busy, sorry. We're, we're going to go shopping now. I've got to get to work. No, it says they, they stream out of the village to go and find this man. And then if you read on the next few passages, it talks about how they, they believe. They go, wow. This man actually might be the saviour of the world. This could actually be the Messiah. And as they spend time with him, they, they invite him to stay in the village and he stays on and they begin to discover who he is. And they say, you know what? We believe now, not just because of what you said about him. We believe because we've discovered him. We, have, we, have, we, we now know who this Jesus is. We believe he is the Christ, the Messiah. 
And I want to ask you today, are you, what are you chasing? What are you pursuing? And do you see the gift that God has for you? I just want us to spend a moment in prayer, talking to God. Say, God, point out the things that I am chasing that are just going to wear me out. They're just going to make me tired. Those things that I am pursuing in this life that as I open them up, I'm just going to discover that actually there's nothing in there. It's not even worth it. God, I pray that you would keep us away from those things. God, we want to say sorry for those things that we've chased after that you told us not to chase, but we just did it anyway. God, we want to say sorry for those, those sins that we, we knew you said not to, to, to do, but we, we thought it was nice. We, we thought it was good. We sort of thought, oh, it won't matter. But Lord, we know that every sin brings destruction. We know your forgiveness is for all sins, that we are washed clean by your blood, but there are natural consequences to the sins we commit at times. God, I pray that you would help us to pray. Help us to be aware of who you are. Help us to see the gift that you're offering us. This gift even brings eternal life. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for your Holy Spirit that you have promised to us. That God, you say that if we ask, you will give it to us. In the book of Acts, as the disciples went around and they shared the gospel with people, it says they repented, they believed, they were baptized, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were given gifts of the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues as God led them. And sometimes we don't know what to pray, but God wants to enable us to pray even when we don't know what to pray. And I believe God has that gift for you today. If you have never spoken in tongues, you've never received that gift, I believe God would give it to you today if you will ask, if you will desire, that He will give it to you. Let's just take a few more moments just to, just to pray. Maybe you want to ask for that. Maybe you just want to thank Him for who He is. Remember, prayer is not magic formula, say this, say this, and life will be like that. But it is a privilege. God, we thank you for the privilege that we can talk to you, that no matter what is happening in this life, that we do do not have to be afraid because the God of the universe is with us. And Lord Jesus, that you have died as a sacrifice for our sin. You have paid the ransom for our lives that we can have relationship with you and that we can have eternal life. God, I pray today that you would fill us. Lord, we wouldn't leave this place today feeling dry. And tomorrow that, God, we would ask you again to fill us. Lord, we want to live for your glory, God. We, We thank you for the privilege it is to know you. Well, the next verse is it talks about how the harvest is great, but the workers are few, and we desire to be those workers. There is a great reward for those who, who join your harvesters, who, who plant and water and, and harvest. And God, we want to be for your glory. But God, today we just want to thank you for the privilege it is to know you. And I pray that you would stir us in prayer. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.
this morning, if that's just really stirring you in some way and you feel that you need someone to pray with you this morning, that you just need his, a fresh feeling from God, maybe, maybe this morning even you're saying, wow, I never understood what Jesus did for me. But you want to you surrender your life. You want to give up everything else so that you can find that treasure that Jesus has for you. you know, all you need to do is pray that prayer and say, God, please forgive me. I'll give my life to you. And we'd love to talk to you about that if that is you. And we've got some, some materials and things we can give you. If you haven't got a Bible, we'd love to give you one. But right now, can we stand? And we're going to worship God. We're going to thank Him for who, is it, for who He is. Worthy of every song we could ever sing, worthy of all the praise we could ever bring, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Let's sing this as a prayer to God this morning.